Well, we've made it to the final track on Prince's Sign of the Times album, and it's for a song that's massively popular among Prince fans, beloved and considered by many as the best ballad in Prince's career. Of course, I'm talking about Adore. And joining me on this episode is first-time guest Scott Woods. Welcome to the show, Scott. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. It's my honor as well. I'm, I'm a fan of your writing. Uh, maybe for those who don't know uh, who you are and what you do, and maybe some Prince connections, like what your entry point was or when you started listening to Prince, if you don't mind giving the listeners a little bit of a brief bio on yourself, Scott. Not at all. So I'm in Columbus, Ohio, been here all my life, and I became aware of Prince uh, on his second album, right? So I was very, very young, but my oldest brother had a copy of Prince in his collection, and I was always rifling through his collection. And I saw this cover of this, this, this pretty chocolate guy, and I was just like, what is this? What is, what's going <laughs> on here? And I think I was like seven or something when that came out. And... um I put the record on. I was always sneaking the records out. So I put the record on and I realized I had already heard maybe like one of the songs, right? Like, you know, the, like the release that had come out. And so I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's this guy. And so pretty much from that point on, I listened to Prince for the rest of my life. And um, I was a fan of one type or another through all those decades, right? And then about a handful of years ago, I looked up and I, you know, I'd basically grown into a writer among other things. And I was maintaining a blog at the time. And, um, I had written a bunch of essays about Prince. Anytime it occurred to me to write about Prince, I would just do it and throw it on the blog. And occasionally somebody might ask me to write something for a platform or a journal or something like that. So I developed a small reputation as a Prince writer right and so eventually i felt like i had enough for a book so i went to my publisher i had already published two books of poetry at that point and i said hey i think i want to do this prince collection real quick and so we did it as a digital book first just to kind of try that out to see how it felt and then um about a year or so later we released a print version with expanded content because i never actually stopped writing about prince as it turns out and so that book's been out for, uh, I guess now, officially three years. Uh, Prince and Little Weird Black Boy Gods is the name of that book. And uh, and that brings us pretty much here. Yep, here we are. This is uh, your first entry point into the show. But, you know, obviously you've been part of the Prince community for a long time writing about him. And we've done Prince Twitter threads on various songs, uh, both of us over in the past. Uh, Adore is the song, of course, that we're covering today and on this episode. And Adore is kind of like one of those beloved songs, as I already mentioned. Uh, it's hugely popular. We, even though it was never technically a single, it probably got as much airplay as any song off Sign of the Times, especially Definitely. on R&B radio stations. It didn't, it didn't, from a pop standpoint, maybe it didn't uh, have that same crossover appeal as, like, you got the look. Um, there was no music video for it, so that we weren't going to find it on MTV. But the fact that it was put on Prince's Hits collection in 93 speaks volumes about its popularity. I mean, only a handful of non-singles were added to that collection. Like, When You Were Mine from Dirty Mind was added, a non-single, but one of those kind of like everybody knows it kind of songs. Yeah. And Adore is is another one. It clearly is. Um, and in terms of like it being the final song, it's it's really like an epic closing song. Um, really, any one of those songs on like the what I call side four, if you have the vinyl version of Sign of the Times, would have worked as the final song on the album proper. Like the cross would have worked. It's going to be a beautiful night, which was you know the song that usually closed the tour. But then of door, it just um, kind of slams it shut and says, this is this is over. Like this, this whole project is done. We're going <laughs> to end it on this heavenly note. Uh, I don't want to, you know, get to the end of the song already. But the way it, the song ends is just immaculate. And that that's a kind of a pun uh, intended pun there to talk about <laughs> how it ends and use the word immaculate. But print, uh, Prince's Adore is is 
one of those kind of special songs. Scott, uh, what are your thoughts on the song in general before we get to the lyrics specifically? So, you know, when you started to introduce the song, you had mentioned that this was, I think, I don't remember the exact wording you used, but it was like, this is like a lot of people think this is his best ballad or slow jam. Mm-hmm. And I think that if it isn't, it's in the top two, right? Um, I vacillate between this and the beautiful ones, but I think that's more personal than technical. I think technically adore is probably number one on any given day. And um, yeah, you know, this is this song is doing um, a lot, right? It's caring a lot. It's doing a lot musically. Um, it's, you know, it's this hardcore soul song in the vein of the stylistics, um, which, you know, we know that he was a fan of, um, with these heavy gospel notes, with these organs and this vocal stacking for this distinct choir effect, um, which he would do right regularly. That's not an unheard of thing for Prince to do, stack those vocals, but he would characterize them, right? Each voice would kind of get a character or a color or an inflection, a personality basically and that really comes through on this song um you can hear those distinct voices and their distinct personalities they kind of fly in and out of the lead and that kind of thing and it's not just like changes in register right it's like changes in color and inflection and that kind of thing and so there are like seven or eight princes on this song alone (laughs) right it's like you know, the screamer, the pleader, the preacher, the pimp, the earnest prince, the female prince, they all kind of rotate out the first chair. It's just this amazing uh, thing vocally, right? Just, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. He does he does go places vocally on this song that he doesn't really do on any other ballads on this album, like Forever in My Life or Slow Love. He definitely pushes his... His register in places, he sings it in falsetto, which by 1986-87, he wasn't you know, exclusively doing anymore. So for him to do that on this song, and you mentioned the beautiful ones, those two, technically both of them are ballads, you're absolutely right. But they're both so different in terms of like what mm. their intent is. Like this is, you know, to, to put a crude, kind of a crude label on it, baby making ballad. Beautiful ones is beautiful ones is not that right. Nobody's having <laughs> right. sex to the beautiful ones. Well, I shouldn't say no one's having sex to the beautiful ones. Very few people <laughs> are having sex to the beautiful ones. Interesting kind of sex, maybe, but not your traditional sex. And this is a a song <laughs> like you could you could use this song um, during like a uh, like a a, da- a mer- um, like a dance like uh, you know um, any kind of dance really like a prom or you could do it. Uh, you know, at um, a wedding reception. Exactly. There's, yeah. there's lots of different places where this song would fit perfectly and match the mood of a, a couple in love or, you know, there there being some sort of commitment ceremony, something along those lines. A door fits in that uh, narrative and, and what the, the intent of those types of um, celebrations are there for. Agreed. Um you know, it's a trip too. like, you know, just speaking lyrically without getting into the lines specifically yet, you know, Prince has a lot of instances of being a poet lyrically, like he's a very poetic composer. And but this song relies less on poetry than it does performance. Right. It's more of a vocal clinic, but, you know, maybe not lyrically outstanding per se, compared to other things. Mm hmm. And, you know, like if you just read the lyrics on paper, it, it reads like a lot of other love songs. Right. But it's it's carried by passion, which befits the title. Right. Adore is a powerful word. It's, you know, it's often conflated with love, but there's a component of devotion to adoration that is very specific. You know, there's a reason why Earth, Wind and Fire's devotion sounds the way that it does. Right. It means what it says. And so does Prince's Adored. You know, it. I don't want to get too deep into the licks before we get to them, but you know, it doesn't go full blown Eucharist, but, but the music mm-hmm. and the passion with which it's produced is meant to convey this, you know, a similar religious weight where the lyrics do not, you know? So. Yeah. And me- funny you mentioned earth, wind and fire. Cause didn't earth, wind and fire cover a door during like the Prince tribute concert last year. 
Oh yeah. Yeah, they I did. think they did. I think they yeah. did. And, and that just kind of speaks a little bit to, um, the, you know, the more classical traditional R and B influences that Prince was kind of leaning on a little bit in the performance of this song. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I mean, like somebody like St. Vincent or Beck isn't going to perform a door uh, live. That's just that's just not going to happen. Right. Uh, it, it needs to come from that that same kind of place in order to really do the song justice. Unless you were going to do like a complete 180 and just, you know, flip the script, so to speak, and just completely change how the song sounds, which is fine and cool, too. But I think people in a in a tribute concert they're looking to hear you know a more faithful version especially of a song like adore that's so kind of beloved by many uh, they don't want necessarily want to hear an art rock version of adore uh, <laughs> potentially <laughs> <laughs> well you know and there was this romanticism about prince revisiting this style of soul music right it almost feels campy or overly nostalgic for about 5 seconds but then its earnestness kicks in and after yeah. you hear it once, like those initial feelings never return because now you know what's coming. And so, you know, we know that Prince wanted to create a quiet storm kind of song, you know, which for black radio is a very particular subgenre of music. Right. Mm -hmm. And so he nails the roots of that genre without coming off as dated. That's that's a really hard needle to thread, but he does it flawlessly. Yeah. Yeah. Like my understanding of quiet storm radio and r&b is that it appealed more to like grown-ups than it did kids exactly. not to say kids couldn't get down with it but you know i mean it's kind of like adult contemporary uh but for r&b in some ways and maybe that's not accurate correct me if i'm wrong scott no but... that's pretty accurate to how i grew <laughs> okay. up with it yeah 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 it was really it's like this is grown up this is grown folks music uh this is a grown folks song and i can see and for me personally like adore wasn't a song that i gravitated for early on when i listened to sign of the times as a much younger person as a teenager um even though i liked r&b and i liked hip-hop this song felt a little just a little more stuffy or maybe you know just too grown up it, it didn't have like the same new jack swing flavor of you know the latest new edition song or you know like the the jam the hard beats of like a jody Watley or whatever so it 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 didn't feel like something like I was, it did feel a little anachronistic. It did feel like maybe Prince was putting on, um, you know, his old school R and B hat for, for six, seven minutes, yeah. but you're right. Earnestness is everything. I mean, it, he didn't do it tongue in cheek. He wasn't making this, he didn't create this song, you know, with a nod and a wink, I don't think. So uh, it comes through and that's why I think it maintained its popularity over the decades. How old were you when this came out in 87? I would have been 12. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was 16. And so I was very much into uh, the, the ladies. And so I had like a thousand uses for this song when it came out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'll, but Scott, I grew up in a like 99% white town. And so a song like Adore probably wasn't going to appeal to the ladies in the same way that like a white snake ballad would have so <laughs> right this is love by white snake might have had a little more impact for me <laughs> i'm a little more luck there um but yeah anyway so i'm glad you brought up the quiet storm because i i kind of wrote that down in my notes this feels like that kind of music even though i'm not as intimately familiar with the subgenre, but i definitely am aware and know like some of the artists like he cited in the lighter notes of the hits and b-sides collection patty labelle and luther vandross who are two artists that you know kind of epitomize i think a lot of people's opinions or thoughts when they think of quiet storm especially their ballads um, yeah definitely and certainly as the as the genre kind of came into the 80s like luther owned that right but um you know when it kind of was formulated in the like the mid 70s or so as a as a proper radio format um you know the the artists were a little older right so yeah you know that was like the stylistics and marvin Gaye and that kind of thing and then you know it changed obviously as as time passed yes it did uh, so i I'd mentioned a little bit about his maturity and that's that seems to be kind of a a word that I've been using and some of my guests have been using a lot when we go through some of the songs on sign of the times. Uh, 
and I and I mentioned that I feel like this is a very mature song from a, a maturing artist. It isn't obsessed with sex, even though there are so many examples and and suggestions of sex in the in the lyrics. But the chorus is very sex free. It's very uh, and that's how the song opens up. Besides his um, his ooh falsetto that he opens up and stretches for a very long time to kick the song off, but the the first lyrics you hear Prince sing is the chorus. Is until the end of time, I'll be there for you. You own my heart and mind. I truly adore you. If God one day struck me blind, your beauty I still see. Love is too weak to define just what you mean to me. So that that chorus is uh, sex-free, as I mentioned. It doesn't mention anything about how uh, great great sex is or how hot she. I mean, you know, your beauty. You say he mentions beauty. Um, but it's beauty is a more classy way of, you know, saying somebody's attractive than, wow, you're hot or, you know, your body's slamming (laughs) something (laughs) along those lines. So he's focusing on the beauty. And for me, just like the, the chorus just speaks to that comment I already made about, you know, the, the maturity and the growth of, a as a, as a man that Prince was kind of experiencing around this time is, you know, he's approaching his late, late twenties. It doesn't feel like the same Prince that that wrote a song called "When We're Dancing Close and Slow," where he's whispering in, you know, the girl's ear, "Can you basically can you feel my feel my heart on rubbing on you?" Um, there's not there's nothing like that here in this chorus. It just feels a little more mature to me. I mean, do you agree with that, or am I? No, that? I think that's fair, and it certainly kind of taps into again, you know, that root music that he's kind of pulling this style of song out of, you know. So if if you're shooting for something that's maybe tips its hat to soul music from us, you know, like the 50s or the 60s or even the 70s, you know, then yeah, the lyrics need to be a little less Prince-like, right? And so, mm-hmm. and this course certainly does that. Um, I think, you know, the most outstanding thing to me about this course is the fact that the song begins with it. Yeah. Right. It's like, how many yeah. times does Prince kick a song off with the chorus? Like it's, it's not typical. It's pretty, it's pretty rare. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's a like long a chorus too. Statement. Yeah. It's a long chorus. And yeah, it's like a thesis statement. Like if you don't get anything else out of the song, the chorus is the, like the key key thing to uh, take away like the rest of the lyrics like the rest of the verses they just there to support the chorus exactly um, the chorus is what people think of it's what they remember it's what you sing along to um it's it's the lines in the song that make it sound very romantic it's talking about devotion and you know the importance of devotion and how devoted he is to the person that he's singing the song to or whoever the song is about it's it's very devotional sounding until the end of time. That's that's a very long time. It's forever. Um, truly, I adore you. If God struck me blind, your beauty I'll still see. Uh, again, that's just kind of like it's more like a till death do us part statement is really what I think I get from the chorus is somebody that somebody could be saying that these could be their wedding vows, really. Yeah. And I think that it's it's interesting to kind of frame it that way, too, because everything that comes after this course ultimately in some way subscribes to the idea, right? No matter how out of pocket I may seem, you know, a verse from now, understand that this is actually what I'm trying to say, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And love isn't a strong, love, love is not a strong enough word. Essentially what he's saying, he says, love is too weak to define just when you mean to me. So just to say, I love you isn't sufficient. You know, I've got to, I've got to write this song. I was rapping till the sun came. 
then moving on to the first verse, and I'm going to read it all, but you know, there's a a decent amount of lines here. It's not a short, it's not a short course, it's not a short verse, it's not a short song. So <laughs> we're we're in we're in it for the long haul here. All right. So the first verse, from the first moment I saw you, I knew you were the one. That night I had to call you. I was rapping till the sun came up, telling you just how fine you look. In a word, you were sex. All of my cool attitude you took, my body was next. You made love to me like you was afraid. Was you afraid of me? Was I the first? Was I your every fantasy? All right. Uh, okay, so with this first verse, Scott, like, you know, we don't have to dissect, like, literally every single line here, but, like, what are some things that kind of jump out at you that you kind of want to talk about or think that are interesting? So we have to talk about rapping. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, um, because everything prior to that is, you know, basically, this whole verse kind of sets up the history of their relationship, whoever this is that he's talking, singing to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, rapping always kind of jumped out at me. Um, you know, that's just basically shooting game, right? I just shot game at you all night. That's just how our first night went or whatever. And what's funny is <laughs> he basically spends like the last four minutes of the song doing this very thing, right? Like, we'll get to it, but it's basically mm-hmm. the rest of it's just like him rapping, right? Is there's Yeah. We'll break it down, but... You know, he eschews traditional verse and chorus structure as the lead, and he lets the lyrics flow. And so it's all very conversational, which is what rapping to someone is all about, right? Yeah, telling you just how fine you look. So mm-hmm. that's kind of, I'm sure that was one of the common common themes when he was uh, rapping to her all night, is how fine she was. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's it's like the overarching theme of that discussion that he had with her all night is yeah. I mean, of course you have to assume if you're talking all night, like literally talking all night, you're getting to know the other person, you're getting a sense for what they're they're all about. And of course there's the uh the attraction portion of it is is pretty much established, but then what else? Like, you know, for the first moment I saw you, I knew you were the one. So instantly attracted to her. Um, wanted to know more about or spent the night doing so. And then what I get from that, then like, that's the first half of that verse. The second half of the verse talks more about, you know, in a word, you were sex, all of my cool attitude you took, my body was next. So uh, I kind of get like, he's, he's so into her and he's, he's so um, absorbed by her beauty that he kind of loses his cool a little bit, even though he's been, successful in in spending his game for you know throughout the evening i think he maybe feels like he's potentially uh, maybe overdoing it maybe laying it on a little too thick all of my cool attitude you took i mean that line could be interpreted a number of different ways i don't know if you thought of uh, an interesting way of interpreting that line scott uh well just that you know he has been disarmed right so yeah. he has basically allowed himself or either by virtue of him wanting to be or by virtue of her ability to disarm him on her own he is now vulnerable right so um i thought you know the line uh, in a word you were sex is kind of cool right this is because he's not just saying oh you look good right he is saying you are the primordial sex right you are like the embodiment you are like everything that i can imagine sex should be or want it to be and i would i would imagine that if you encounter such a being (laughs) that yeah your cool (laughs) attitude would be the first thing to go right yeah 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 (laughs) i would imagine so i mean as cool as prince was uh, i'm sure even he could be disarmed by a, a beautiful woman yeah and then going back or to the, the second half of the verse, the whole you made love to me again, that's kind of like, you know, she did she take which kind of makes it confusing when he says you made love to me. But then he asks her or says that you were, you acted like you were afraid, which 
you know, a lot of times you think of like some, like a woman taking the aggressive stance is because maybe they have experience or they know they're going for what they want. But I guess it can be both. I think that maybe is just a a misguided uh, notion that I'm coming up with. Like only only experienced women can be aggressive when it comes to sex. Uh, not necessarily, but I don't know. It's just kind of an interesting um, way of phrasing that to say like you made love to me, but then also follow that up with you were afraid. Were you afraid of me? Was I the first? Well, you know, that's kind of an interesting, interesting statement there. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, there's some uh, what's the word? There is some. I don't know if it's confusion, but there's definitely some double speak here right uh <laughs> like if to me the 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 scene is you made love to me like he was afraid was you afraid of me was i the first um you know there's certainly <laughs> this the suggestion that he makes here that you know was i your first lover um i think is kind of not the situation right like i think <laughs> we're pretty clear on that yeah. Um, and I think that the music does an interesting thing here on that line, was I the first, right? So, like, when he says, was I the first, the horns do this weird kind of funny swirl right there, almost like this shock of trumpet and sax, right, at the notion that he might be her first. It's almost kind of a playful joke kind of thing, um, which, you know, if you just take the lyrics by themselves, you don't get, but if you hear it in the song, it's it all kind of gels. And so it's like, okay, we've kind of done away with that notion. <laughs> Let us get back to the part where we are on equal footing as lovers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. That's a good point. Cause right. You just read it. You kind of get the impression that he's thinking she was the first because of how, I don't know how tentative she was or mm-hmm. uh, maybe how nervous she was, but it's that, that could be, um, that could be just him projecting a little bit and maybe hope hoping a little bit like for whatever reason he hoped that he took her virginity because whatever it's a it's a a conquering thing or it's a a man thing i don't i don't know but i do like like uh, your point about how the music changes because then it kind of like takes it away like yeah maybe you weren't but whatever you know it, it's all good <laughs> it's all good at the end it was still good it was still good time so i don't really care if i was or wasn't <laughs> So then we go back to the chorus and um, that's why until the end of, I mean, he adds that that's why, because he's trying to connect the, the verse and the chorus together. That's why until the end of time will be there for you. You own my heart and mind. I truly adore you. If God one day struck me blind, your beauty us to see love is too weak to define just when you mean to me. And then he moves uh, directly into the next verse and the second well, verse is when, yeah, Can I ahead. step in here real quick? Absolutely. So there in. were two things that I observed about this course, the second appearance of this course. The first of which is he does something interesting here sonically. The course is sung differently, right? Um, this time when he gets to the end of the course, uh, when he says, just what you mean to me, that ends in this solo voice. Right. It's it's no longer backed up by or layered or stacked. It's just this one Prince voice saying that line. Um, And it's the rough Prince voice. Right. It's it's an unrefined Prince voice. Mm. It's this one that teeters on not quite being in tune. And it's a real vulnerable expression. Right. A real laying bare of the self. It's not pretty. And uh, it's kind of guttural and real, which I thought was a fascinating choice like out of all the ones that were singing at the same time this is the one he wants to highlight like he strips almost everything away and and you're just left with this one prince almost speaking this line almost not even singing this line that's the first observation um what's also interesting here is that this is the last time 
that the chorus is sung by the lead, right? So it's repeated, but by background singers, and the lead does something else. But the you know, but prior to this moment, we hear the chorus sung with the lead, sung with the background, all of that together. And so there are four minutes and 20 seconds of song left and the lead does not come back to the chorus, right? Mm-hmm. It's like the very end and then it's buried. But mm-hmm. that that's a lot of song to uh, for the lead to not be focused on the chorus. Yeah, I thought that stru- was profound, right? The structure of the song is definitely different. It's not structured like your typical verse, chorus, verse, bridge, verse, chorus, outro Mm -hmm. yeah there's the the structure is all like you're right i mean i didn't pick up on that but you're absolutely right he doesn't really sing the chorus again in the same way you know kind of unadorned and um again no pun intended but um (laughs) with without all the background that was actually just yeah yeah a really dumb accident but yeah it's uh it's definitely not done the same way and there's a you to your point there's a lot of song left and for and that's why it kind of like feels like the song has like this really extended um ad-libs i know they're not necessarily ad-libs but the second verse is super long like the first verse was you know normal length ish second verse goes on for quite a while and then he has that whole and then he leads into another chorus which is a little different the chorus that he sings after the second verse is different than the first two times he sings it. And then a very long section where he's got all those lines that um, where he sings the chorus in the background. So, yeah, the, the structure is, I wouldn't say odd, but it is not not typical. We'll just put it that way. Yeah, that's more than fair. <laughs> you know, it's funny because as a poet, um, you know, poetically speaking, Adore is almost a classic ode in its design right it has its chorus and verses land in these similar sections right this strophe this anti-strophe epode and it kind of hinges on adoration and glorification and so an ode isn't just a love poem it's got this very specific job and a door works very much structurally the same way a classic ode does i i did not peep that until you know obviously many years later and um found that fascinating on revisit yeah that is fascinating and you know as a writer that's the kind of stuff that you might pick up on that uh you know those of us who don't write for a living might not so that's that's good insight classic ode and i don't (laughs) yeah and i don't think he did that intentionally for the record right yeah sure sure Mm. always always happy accidents in in art All right, so let's move on then to verse two, if you're ready. Okay, so I'm going to read it the whole thing. It's long as hell. So here we go. When we be making love, I only hear the sounds. Heavenly angels crying up above, tears of joy pouring down on us. They know we need each other. They know you are my fix. I know, you know, that I ain't cheating, baby. They know this is serious. I ain't fucking just for kicks. No. This condition I got is crucial. And he repeats that. Crucial. You can You could say that I'm a terminal case. You could burn up my clothes, smash up my ride. Well, maybe not the ride. But I gotta have your face all up in the place. I'd like to think that I'm a man of exquisite taste. 100% Italian silk imported Egyptian lace. Nothing, baby. I said nothing, baby, can compare to your lovely face. 
Do you know what I'm saying to you this evening? I'm just trying to say. Then he kind of rolls into the course again that until the end of time, I'll be there for you. And then there's a little bit of a break before he continues on. Okay, uh, that, that's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot going on here in this verse. Yeah. Oof. All right. So there's there's parts of this verse that are very like memorable because of how he performs it. Um, and we'll get to that in a second, but kind of just like breaking it down into chunks, I guess. Uh, early on in the verse, he talks about, you know, he's again talking about sex. Like he said, you were sex early on. Now he says, now be making love. And for him to use and reference like these, the, the symbol, the symbolism of, of heavenly angels crying, tears pouring down. Um, I don't know. I just think it's a, uh, it's a very, I don't know, like poetic way to describe the act of making love, having sex, and for him to do that in a song, as opposed to doing it in a crude way, which again, to your point, doesn't match the tone of the song, doesn't match, you know, what how these types of songs have been created and performed in the past. It just feels like it this is the right language to use, I guess, in this kind of a song. Heavenly angels crying up above, tears of joy pouring down on us. <laughs> little overwrought but it's certainly it's certainly poetic and it, it matches the tone i think definitely he, you know he's he really wants you to realize that you know the love that they're making is so much more than just sex right it's it is this act that is so profoundly uh beautiful that you know angels would cry and <laughs> you know, and instead of that's not sweat, my love, that is tears of joy. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yep. You know, and then when, when, when doves cried, that was sweat. Now it's tears of joy. Okay. Got yep, it. You yep. know, this is next level, right? Got it's it. It's definitely next level. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and of course, and the angels, they know that, that we need each other. They know that you're my fix. That's who he's referring to when he says they know. I, I assume he's talking about the heavenly angels mm-hmm. knowing this. And so they're like, looking down on prince and you know they're giving their blessing they, they think that finally prince has found the one you know <laughs> we, we did our job you know high-fiving each other um uh and i know you and i this part's a little awkward to say i know you know that i ain't cheating baby they know this is serious i ain't fucking just for kicks so <laughs> so now we've like completely juxtaposed with uh you know the really ornate language he was using earlier. And, oh, I ain't fucking just for kicks. So now he brings like the the slang back and you know the modern language. Um, I thought that was kind of a interesting thing too. Oh, that's more than interesting, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it still yeah. amazes me that this line went out over the radio waves and no one caught it. Right? It wasn't cut. It wasn't run backwards. It wasn't hidden. And it's because he sang it in this way that no one knew exactly what he was saying at the time, right? Um, It is as if he self-edited without actually removing the questionable content. And I can tell you, like having heard it on the radio a hundred times back then, um, no one knew what he was saying in that moment. And and so fucking just went out on the air every time that it played, right? It was just like, and then if you look at the lyrics of the of the original album obviously that's not there right so i had to pull out my original copy just to be sure and um and yeah that that there's several lines here that are not present there you know it's just kind of a it's not an ad lib i I don't think it's an ad lib but i think he knew what he was doing right um you don't make a quiet storm song. You don't intend to make a quiet storm song and then put that word in unless you can do something to that word to make it fit, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So he really, like, he got over on everybody on that. He he got over on Warner Brothers on that one, right? So <laughs> yeah, there was no explicit amazed. content sticker on this album, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. That that you're right, and I didn't. I'm not going to pretend like I always knew he said the f word there because obviously i didn't either uh, it was it was in the age of the internet and transcribed lyrics and blah 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 that i finally came across like oh yeah that makes sense yeah uh, but yeah the, the performance of the way he performs that and sings that line what does he do he kind of like 
sings it a little bit in his, in his throat, like almost exactly. Like, he buries like it frog-like. in his throat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, like yes, something sir. like that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he definitely got one over on everybody with that. Um, but it is it is interesting to, to, as I mentioned, just because this is not a song based off of the lyrical content that we've gotten thus far. What the theme is, where you would expect him to curse. It just mm-hmm. isn't, and, and then for him to do it, okay, cool. But then I'm just going to bury it, and I'm mm-hmm. going to pretend like it's never. Nobody's going to know that I said it, and why he chose to put it in there in the first place. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like. I mean, if it makes the the pattern of the lines go well, I don't know what he would have put in instead of that word. Mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure something could have worked if he really wanted to get around not putting. A curse word in the song, he could have done it. He just chose not to. Yeah, I mean, he spent a lot of time on this song. So everything in here, for one reason or another, is intentional. So, yeah. Uh, did we again, did you mention the crucial line? You nope, didn't. Just going to get you. Okay, gotcha. haven't gotten there yet, but take it away because uh, I'll let you kind of talk about crucial. Well, I don't have much to say, just an observation and a theory. So the line, this condition I got is crucial, crucial. Um, crucial, at least to me, is an interesting word here. Um, in that two months prior to recording a door, he records the song Crucial. And so by itself, this line doesn't mean much, save that it to me anyway, it exposes how Prince sometimes, not consistently, but sometimes, carries uh, a particular vocabulary for a while. Yes. Maybe over a couple of records, right? Or maybe just for one or maybe a couple. But then he drops those things for other new words or concepts. And so it's not that he never uses the word again. I didn't actually comb through, you know, the other 40 albums to determine if that were true. (laughs) Oh, man. um, (laughs) I was hoping you would have done the homework for me. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, certain words appear in blocks. And crucial seems to be one of those words in this instance. Yeah, and he does mention it. He does use the word in You Got the Look as well, which was recorded after this, since it was the last song recorded for the album. So at that point, I don't know. I think I mentioned it in the You Got the Look episode. I don't know if he already knew by the time he recorded You Got the Look if Crucial was going to get cut from the, the final configuration or if he was still kind of waffling on whether or not Crucial was going to make the sign of the times cut after crystal ball got mixed i'm not sure but um i can see him adding to your, yeah to your point absolutely there there are words that he uses that are part of his lexicon for a period of time an album or two and then you really just don't hear him again and if he does it's usually like a callback or mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's something like he's trying to um Call back to an older an older song, which he didn't do a lot of. So let's just be honest. He didn't do a lot of that. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's interesting there. You could say I'm a terminal case. You And then this whole next section, you could burn up my clothes, smash up my ride. Well, maybe not the ride. And so that line is he, he speaks that line. He doesn't sing it in, you know, his falsetto. And that's that's a line that gets everybody laughing or excited or, you know, they, they hoot and holler when he plays that the song live because it's it's a funny line i mean it's it's uh you know he his sense of humor comes out in this song even though the song comes across as like being dead serious he does have these moments in the song where yes it's not quite so serious like that line and then i think even the line 100 percent italian silk imported egyptian lace (laughs) (laughs) It's like, okay, we get it. You have you, you like the finer things, you know, and to put those in there is just like here's examples of of what I consider, you know, fine fine things in life. I think there's a little bit of there's some humor. There's gotta be some humor in those lines as well. Oh no, that to me is yeah, for about, you know, five seconds this is a comedy record, right? So <laughs> you know, um it's the only time where he really sounds the way he talks when he says, well, maybe not the ride. Like mm-hmm. that sounds like the way he did it. He actually speaks. And it's pretty much the only time in the song that that happens. Right. Um, which really just kind of drives the point home. Like 
he just completely steps out of this song. As a matter of fact, if you listen to what the background line is, so he goes, you could burn up my clothes, smash up my ride. And then the background vocals go, you can smash up as if they're about to say, you can smash up my ride. Right. <laughs> and then he cuts them off like, well, hold up now. Wait a minute. Yeah, Maybe another yeah. ride, you know? So <laughs> um, he just completely steps out of the song in that moment. And it's just the funniest thing ever. Right. Like, you know, there, there are not nearly enough instances of Prince on record being funny as funny as he is or was. But um, but this is definitely up there. Right? Yeah, beca- because to your, yeah, exactly. He steps out of the song because everything up to this point is like there's literally nothing that I wouldn't do for you. You know, I'm going to stick with you to the end of time. If you're if I become blind, you know, I'm going to still be able to see your beauty. I want to be with you forever. Uh, I'll give you everything. Well, maybe not the ride. So, and for and for a car, you know, like a, a material item to be that important, you know that he's stepping out of the song for a, for a humorous effect. Yes. Also, uh, you mentioned like the exquisite taste, Italian <laughs> silk, Egyptian lace. Yeah. It's interesting how he defines his level of accomplishment, of class, and distinction. You know, here he uses these things to run off his resume to like expose his pedigree. You know, yeah. I know beautiful things. I know what exquisite and valuable things are, and I hold you above them. You know, mm-hmm. it, it is it's the same sentiment that kind of gets perverted later in other R and B songs by other people like R. Kelly, you remind me of my Jeep or whatever. But it's done to obviously worse and more crass effect later, but it's the same tool of yeah. this concrete valuation of the physical as a measure of a subject's worth. Yeah, which is you know it's it's nice. Yeah, yeah. The, he knows he knows what nice is, so you should take his word as as meaning a lot. Like when he says that you're better than that, that means a lot. Is what he's trying to say. Like I know what nice things are. Yeah, exactly. All right. So then, uh, anything else with the second verse? I know we didn't talk about every single line, but not every single line needs to be dissected. I don't think, but. No, I think the only other thing I'd point out is um, uh, where he says, just a couple lines later, where he says, uh, nothing could compare to your lovely face. Do you know what I'm saying to you this evening? Now, that is like a little, just a little bit of a cast off, right? Like just this to you this evening is kind of the thing. It's not in the lyrics, you know, proper anyway. And it's, it sounds very kind of ad libby, but this is a black preacher mannerism right like there's this we know we've got this very gospel sounding song in this choir and then here he comes as a black preacher on top of the organ playing out you know which is this really dope thing to do it's you know it's a very black church thing to do yeah yeah good point oh and i will point out can i i gotta throw this in here yeah so usually when i'm looking up prince lyrics on the internet um that you know, stuff like that, little things like that sometimes get lost, right? Whoever's, you know, dictating the lyric or recording the lyric, they they think that that's not important or it's an alley, but they don't hear it or they mm-hmm. don't hear it right. And I've found several songs over the years where it's just like, yo, you know, you have clipped this word. You've interpreted this thing a different way, and it has changed the tenor of this line, of this of what he's doing here. And so I'm always going to make a case to throw that thing back in there because he did, you know, and and he did it intentionally. Um, And those are touchstones, right? Those are cultural touchstones. And so it's important to get those right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially in a song like Adore, where I think he was really um, kind of aiming for for black radio. Uh, Whether or not the song wasn't released, it it didn't matter because he knew that it was going to get picked up by those stations they were gonna they were gonna play at least i think he did oh no um, he definitely <laughs> i think this song sticks out so much that it was inevitable yeah yeah it's to sure. the point of intentionality right mm-hmm.
And in the next chorus, they call it the chorus because it's kind of got like some of the same words and lines, but there's enough differences that I'm just going to reread it. That until the end of time, I'll be there for you. And he repeats that I'll be there for you. Because at that point, there's a, like I said before, there was a little bit of a pause. I'll be there for you. You own my heart. You own my mind. I truly adore you. I truly adore you, darling. Adore you. And I, again, you have to listen to the song because I'm not going to be able to do it justice just reading it cold. You don't know what you mean to me, baby. And he repeats, baby, baby. Until the end of time, I'll be there for you. You own my heart and mind. I truly adore you. And he repeats, adore you. Uh, so, you know, again, it's it's many of the same lyrics, same lines, just sung in maybe in a slightly different way, uh, different um, inflections, different ways of, of, of singing it. Like, uh, I don't know, you have to kind of listen to it. It's hard for me to describe, I guess, but you know it's different. Like, you listen to it, and like, that's not the exact same way it was sung before, because he's adding certain things. There's commas where there wasn't commas before. There's additional word. You own my heart and mind. I mean, he doesn't say um, that exactly the same way in the previous chorus. So I don't know. I just thought it was worth repeating. Yeah. Uh, you know, none of that section is captured in, you know, the print of the original lyrics, right? It's a breakdown. It's, you know, it's it's not a vamp, but it's close. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot more feel here in especially in the register in which he sings, it makes some of the lyrics hard to parse out, which I think is the point, right? Like at this point, he he makes the words an instrument, bending them and bearing them as it suits his expression. Okay, so then we get to the part where we kind of said before, alluded to him. This is where he's rapping, rapping to his woman. Mm-hmm. So these are these aren't spoken lines. He's singing. He's still singing these lines. And I think throughout most of the background, I didn't like uh, make a point of noticing when the chorus is brought in and when it ends. But I'm that, pretty sure throughout the most line. of it. Yeah, it's the second yeah. line. Okay, thanks. Yeah, every Thank time you. you wander, the chorus comes back in in the background. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. All right. So there's the course in the background after the that line. So the lines are, can I talk to you? Tell you what you mean to me. Every time we wander, I'll be your eyes so you can see. I want to show you things that I never show no other. I want to be more than your mother, more than your brother. I want to be like no other. need me i'll never leave i know that you know without you there is no me there is no me without you there is no sea there is no shore love is too weak to define how much i adore you child you child the last words you hear with me darling till the end of all time i'll give you my heart i'll give you my mind i'll give you my body i'll give you my time for all time i am with you you are with me Whew. yeah so this is the section of lyrics where like there's a lot still of song left and he starts singing these and it goes on a while but each one of these lines i feel like is 
a kind of an impactful way of him to just keep keep the point of the song of you know what how much that person means to him and he's trying to give examples um i want to be more than your mother and your brother which is a little bit of a callback to i want to be your lover when he said i want to be your mother and your sister too uh so it's it's, a near quote right (laughs) yeah it's 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 almost identical he just switches out brother instead of sister um i mean like the sea and the shore without you there's no sea there's no shore those are kind of new unique sentiments that he's bringing up uh, a little bit like how he was bringing up you know the heavenly angels and just putting like really his devotion and his love in a poetic way quote-unquote rapping again you know this is the things that you know he's thinking that she wants to hear she wants to know how devoted how how romantic can this man be and he's trying to really up the ante there and and basically kick every other man's ass when it comes to romanticism <laughs> so he's he's doing a good job i think yeah what's cool is like prince doesn't want to be all of those people to his lover or even want to be in their position in his lover's life he wants to be the most important person right now that might have been inc- unclear in 1979 where he just says i want to be your brother i want to be your mother and your sister but by 1986 you know he clears it up by adding the desire to be more than those relationships to his lover yeah it's it's pretty clear i mean i don't think that when you say more than your mother you know that's that's a quite that that's quite elevated stance in that person's life, you know, to, yeah. to mean more than to them. I mean, not everybody's relationship with their parents is amazing, but you know, that's the person that raised you in theory. Um, so that's, that's a, that's pretty high praise or that's a lofty goal. Let's put it that way. Yeah. It is the person without whom you would not be here. Right. So. Yeah, exactly. And those last lines of this breakdown, I'll give you my heart. I'll give you my mind. I'll give you my body. I'll give you my time for all time. I'm with you. I feel like, and I, I missed the opportunity in prepping for this episode to come up with examples where he says similar lines, like I'm going to give you basically everything. Um, and I know he says like, I give you my body or I gave you my body in other songs. And I'm, I'm blanking a little bit and I'm hopeful somebody on the, who listens to the episode can, can cite some examples where Prince does this, but I feel like I've heard like this kind of thing before in a Prince ballad, but it's on the tip mm-hmm. of my tongue. I just can't think of exactly which song I'm referring to. And who knows? It might've come after us. Uh, it might be in, you know, once you start listening to 40 years worth of songs, sometimes the chronology gets mixed up and it could be, it could be a song that I heard or that was made after this one. And he kind of was a, almost calling back to a door but i just don't recall there was this interesting thing that he does vocally which i know i'm nitpicking here um but he does the lines i'll give you my heart i'll give you my mind i'll give you my body i'll give you my time and so at the end of i give you my heart he goes huh i'll give you my mind huh i'll give you my body yeah and then i'll give you my time these little near chuckle cast-offs Right, give this sense that these things may not be as serious as what he's building up to, right? So it's like my heart, oh, that's nothing. Like my mind, ah, oh, whatever. But my time, now that's serious. You know, <laughs> I just think yeah, that's a really cool, yeah. almost unnecessary thing, right? But just that yeah. little extra bit of color just kind of takes it to the next level. Yeah, time. Time is one of those uh, commodities that. Um, you know, there's definitely a limited amount of, and this man had a lot of irons in the fire, so to speak. So to to ask him for time is asking a lot of a man like Prince. And well, and then the next line after that is for all time, I am with you. And so not only is he giving you his time, but he's giving you all of his time forever. Right. So it's kind of, you know, and it's kind of slickly profound. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing in the song that really kind of paints paints it to be any kind of a song where you have to question the motives or question the intent is there an alternate intent going on here i think Mm -hmm. it's pretty straightforward like this is a really straightforward romantic devotional love song and that's why i think it works for so many people because 
um it's not it's not angst ridden you know there aren't these lines that make you wonder if there's some sort of weird um power dynamics going on or there's no like you don't feel like there's any possessiveness in this song either like sometimes prince songs can get like he gets possessive in times in his lyrics i don't really get that with this song it feels like it's i'm giving you everything like he's not he's not taking stuff from her he's giving he's giving things to her giving him basically him everything that he has except for the ride uh so (laughs) so that's why i think this song really works for a lot of people is because it doesn't have some of those more common tropes and of prince ballads where one can wonder like like do me baby you feel like that's really just about sex uh beautiful ones is about how you know the angst from a from a breakup and how how he feels about that and how much she's hurting inside and um you know this is really like even slow uh, well slow love is a pretty similar song like that but that's again that's more about the the physical aspects of of a relationship and of, mm-hmm. of a connection that two people can have this is this is something a little deeper i think and that's where people really pick up on that and appreciate the, his ability to articulate that in this song in a way yeah. that he maybe didn't do a lot of up until this point mm-hmm. he does he does romantic later you know, he has more songs along this vein. But by 1986-87, there weren't a ton of examples. All right, so, uh, Scott, is there anything else you wanted to talk about with this song? Uh, anything that you wanted to touch on that we haven't already approached? Uh, not really. Uh, you know, this is ultimately, this is not a new love, first morning after kind of song, right? This is a song that reflects on a longer relationship, you know, and at some point he has had to reassure his lover and so that's kind of what this song is doing you know it's it's a reassurance <laughs> yeah yeah it is it is this isn't even though the like the first verse he's talking about like how he met and a little bit of the setup like you know this is how we met and this is what it was like by the time we get to the end of the song this isn't like a second date statement you know he's not he's not proclaiming this and singing the song to somebody who's in you know the very early stages of a of a relationship so i agree with you there for sure this is one of those like i'm ready to commit you know i've i've experienced all this with you this is this is my my commitment song and it's a beautiful one and then the song ends with the kind of like that that chorus of angels of prince prince angels singing uh right behind him when he says all time I am with you. And um, what's the last line? It's uh, you are with you me. are with me. It is very epic and it is very angelic sounding uh, choir sounding. I guess you could say it sounds like a choir. It really does. Yeah, it does a great job. Ascending because, into eternity. Yeah. Yeah. Because there is no choir here. It's just, I believe it's just Prince, right? Well, there is. And then I think at the very, very, very end, I think that's like, you know, uh, like a fair light or something like that. So okay. he just kind of blends his vocals into a vocal sounding thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he didn't hire, he didn't like hire some sort of quite. No. Yeah. <laughs> do that. So he, he was able to do that with his own voice and some uh, studio trickery. So good job. <laughs> All right. Well, Scott, thank you so much for joining me on this episode. Um, would you mind telling people where they could like find your work or, check up on what you're doing sure so i'm on all the social medias i'm pretty easy to find at this point but um if you want to go like straight to my blog it would be scott woods writes that's w-r-i-t-e-s uh dot net and that will get you to uh, my writing on a variety of things cool i'll definitely put a link to your site on the show notes so people can easily access it i'll also put a link to your book because People should check that out as well. I would highly encourage anybody who's into Prince and just wants a different kind of take on, um, you know, Prince and just from a, like the essays, you know, so if you're not into one essay, check, check out the next one because there's plenty of them and they're all, <laughs> they're all good. I like the book personally. Thank you. It, it was definitely a, a breath of fresh air for the, you kind of want a more personal perspective, which is what you offer. Thank you. 
All right. Well, thanks again, Scott. This has been the Press Rewind Prince Lyrics Podcast. I've been your host, Jason Brenninger. You can find the show at Press Rewind Pod on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Also on YouTube now. This episode won't be on YouTube for a little bit, but uh, check out some older episodes as I upload them. You can also follow my blog, PressRewind.net. I uh, just post a few uh, musings on Prince's music every once in a while. Maybe uh, you know my personal thoughts on a, an album or some memories I have of an older album. You know, as I'm starting to get older, I feel like I need to get some of these memories down before I lose them forever. So that's kind of what the blog is there for. And also just to support the, the podcast as well. So thanks to all the listeners. And until next time, goodbye. Time I am